Bless you, baby. It's okay. <laughs> My kiddo's home on a sick day and uh, is sitting in the studio with me. You want to say hi, bud? Hi. I love you. Love you, too. <laughs> Well, welcome back for episode three of Back to Your Ones. I am really excited about our guest today. Landi Maduro is an amazing filmmaker and screenwriter. She's also a dear friend of mine. So I met Landi about five years ago. Uh, it was actually the very first meeting of Women of Color Filmmakers, the organization that she runs. And uh, we have grown together over the years. I eventually joined the board of WOCF and have uh, co-run the Filmmaker Lab with Landi over the last two years, which has been a huge joy for me. So yes, without further ado, here comes Landi. Maduro. How you doing? Good, good. Crazy busy, but good. Yeah, yeah. right. I know. She she wrapped her show and then oh, she's yeah. like prepping for the gala. So yeah. what was your show? So it's a brand new TV show. Um, so can't talk a lot about it just yet, but it hopefully will be coming out next year. And uh, I got to direct seven of the 10 episodes. I was only supposed to direct one to four and they let me direct seven. What did you do that was so amazing that you got to go from one to four to seven? What's like <laughs> best practices of directing? Right, please, where's my notebook? I'm listening. You know, I think it was just being there and showing my worth, you know, not being afraid, even though it's the first time I've worked at the studio level, not being afraid gotcha. to have my input. You know, like if I saw something and then it was funny because then after a while they thought I was just a producer. And then after a while they were like, um, do you direct? Because you're talking about the light and asking about lenses and, <laughs> and then it was like, cool, they were going to hire some well-known uh, reality TV director. And they were like, man, Londi's got it. This That's right. So you've always yes. got it. Yes, I love that. Londi's got it. I feel like you need a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I don't always have it, but you know, I try. I try. <laughs> you do, and my, I mean, I, and what I've witnessed, you you always have it, Landy. Well, jumping right in, can you tell us a little bit about your background as a filmmaker, kind of how you got in, um, and then you know, maybe we will jump into your experience as a cinematographer and how that influences your work as a director. So for me, honestly, it began on the other side of the camera. Um, I started as a, a model and I used to model a lot. And then I decided that trying to remain a size two was not in my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, and I kind of got burnt out with that. And I've always been fascinated with like photography. My dad was a, a wedding photographer and event photographer when I was a kid. So I, I loved watching him. I mean, old school, like dark room, like he would nice. room and pin the photos up. He had a part of our garage that was his office. And, you know, I'd go in there and see the photos he took of my mom and stuff and was always fascinated by how the camera captured a moment. You know, and, you know, with the naked eye, that moment passes really fast, but in a still shot, it's like it's captured and you can look back at it and kind of remember the feelings or, you know, maybe create new feelings if you've never seen that before. And so I was always fascinated by that. So I decided to go to school for photography. And then, um, of course, that meant all my actor friends uh, wanted headshots. Headshots. 
<laughs> right. And I was acting too. So I went kind of from modeling to acting. And then of course was doing headshots and stuff for all my friends and kind of started my own photography business. And then people started asking me to do videography and I was terrified. Mm. I was like, uh, I do still photos. I'm not sure about videography, but I was seeing how okay, I should learn. So I've always been the type of person to uh, jump in and learn how to swim later, you know? <laughs> so yeah. my very first time I did a, a corporate videography, I was like a nervous wreck. And a friend, I had a friend coming to help me and he was late. Oh no. <laughs> to do this. And I definitely framed everything like a photo at first, you know, it, <laughs> it was very funny, but you know, I got through it and then I really, this isn't that hard. Like I had built a it being very difficult in my head, mm. not realizing that I had through my going to school for photography, I had a clear understanding of composition, mm-hmm. right? I had an understanding of lighting and how that affects a frame. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an understanding of lenses, um, of ISO. Like it was like, oh, wait a minute, I got this. I'm, I mean, maybe don't put them so far over, but <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. And so I just started really teaching myself the basics of cinematography um, and, you know, sucking up all the knowledge I could on my own and then practicing and screwing some things up at first. Right. <laughs> right? Of it. And then, you know, after a while realizing I have the hang of this, I, I have an understanding of how it works. I don't know everything, mm-hmm. but I know enough that I can work with a DP or I can work with a gaffer and light a scene the way I want it to be to tell a story. And so I just kind of parlayed that into filmmaking and, you know, kind of went from there. I know you from the work that you do also teaching, how important that is to you. And beyond a pretty picture, like, you know, the significance of telling a story through your cinematic choices. Mm-hmm. Sometimes as you see this more in the indie world that we forget that filmmaking is a visual storytelling medium. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is we get the script, you know, and most of the time as independent filmmakers, we are the writer of the script and we're so excited about the words, mm-hmm. but we forget that uh, s- cinematic storytelling is not always about dialogue. And you can give a lot of information about a character by how you light them. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. one of the things we teach at uh, in our in my director's workshop is, um, you know, short side lighting where you kind of have the light, whereas there's a lot of contrast on one side and maybe a little softer on the other. Sometimes that can give a villainous feel or, um, of course, dramatic uh, short side lighting or side lighting gives a super villainous feel where you can't see the other eye. And if you just direct your actor just to convey their lines, you can start to make the audience wonder, is this person a good guy or a bad guy? Mm-hmm. Right. And who a director that I love that plays with that a lot is David Fincher. Mm-hmm. If you look at Gone Girl. When we first meet Ben Affleck's character, we're not sure. And I'm sorry, spoiler alert if you've seen this movie. <laughs> but uh, when we first see Ben Affleck's character, we are not sure if he killed his wife or not, right? And and David Fincher, the way that they lit Ben Affleck was a lot of kind of soft side lighting, a lot of contrast. And so we're questioning too. Once we realize he didn't, then the light is very nice and even. You'll see more like what we call Rembrandt lighting, where it's a little upside down triangle. And you're like, okay, so he's not the bad guy. But those subtle hints at who that character is 
comes from how the character is lit, right? The color choices, you know, kind of the film tone, how they have the actor positioned. All that is giving information without him saying, you know, I didn't do it. Or, I mean, he does say I didn't do it. But, you know, I mean, you're getting the, the, I don't know, he's saying he didn't, but I'm feeling like he might have. So it's it's starting to understand the psychology behind how an audience thinks and feels about a character. And I think that is good storytelling. I have a question kind of going off of that. You know, a lot of times you have a table read and I found that dialogue heavy scripts play good in the table read because it's like a radio play. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes what you're trying to do visually, when you're doing a visual medium, that might be two lines and a lot of description and a lot of stuff that's in the storyboards. And I was wondering, how do you work with, particularly if you're working with producers or people who are sitting at a table read or trying to decide to see into your script when you are more visually focused and not pingy uh, dialogue focused, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. So it kind of depends. If I'm directing someone else's project, right, I try to make sure that I have a clear understanding with the writer, If especially a lot of times in my world, the writer is a producer, right? <laughs> so making sure that they understand that can we not stay married to these words, right? Because humans communicate a lot non-verbally. And when you're watching a movie, that's what's more powerful sometimes. And so really making sure that, you know, every single word you wrote, though beautiful for a reading perspective, may not also play when the actor starts adding something. And that's the other thing sometimes we forget. The actors add magic to our scripts and you don't want to limit yourself to those words and then miss out on the magic that happens when someone actually breathes life into them because there's a huge difference. So I try to make sure that that's clear from the jump. And if they are one who's like, no, 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 these words are important, then I'm not the right director for you because I'm I want to do what's true to the story. Mm-hmm. Right, not necessarily serve the words. Because that's something I've run into in the past too, both from the filmmaker side, but also sometimes as a producer side, I, I might not get it, or I might have a certain feeling because it wasn't my Aaron Sorkin read in the room. It wasn't me. <laughs> but then you finally see the final result, and even though there's absolutely zero dialogue in this scene, it's so visually stunning that it makes you go, "This is cinema." Um, I think about some of the the powerful moments we just saw in an independent film here called 1982. And some of the best moments were looks stolen between characters Mm -hmm. more so than, you know, the pingy dialogue. And so many filmmakers, uh, you know, writers tend to come from a playwriting side when they say I'm a writer. And then making that transition, you know, it's it's sometimes it's a it's a little bit of a clunky thing. And so I love that you're bringing that up. I love dialogue and and such, too, as an actor and a writer. So it's great for me to, you know, listen to you guys. But a show that I've been thinking about this with a lot lately, and I've talked to you, Dee, a little bit about it. But we watch Handmaid's Tale, which I think the writing's amazing. Um, And just somehow they continually figure out how to raise the stakes and surprised me in ways that most shows can't. And, um, but this season in particular, I've really noticed their lens choices. They don't tell you necessarily via their dialogue. Who's who, but you're like, that person looks weird as hell. They like, they're up to something, you know? And it's just cause they're being shot with like a slightly wide angle lens or like slightly lower. lower. Nose is huge or something. Yeah, Yeah. And they'll be cutting back and forth between the person you're supposed to, 
relate to who looks totally normal and then they've got someone else's features just like, like slightly house. over but like a little fun house yeah. yeah and it's telling so much of the story mm-hmm. that way you know it's funny that you say that because i love that show too i haven't watched this season yet because i've been working on a show but yeah. <laughs> I, I watched, and the first thing i noticed was their lens choices and how mm-hmm. they framed people mm-hmm. and i was like i love this show not only is the dialogue good but the colors they use are beautiful yeah. they pop you know, just how they short side frame someone when they're really in distress. Like that, that was what drew me to the show, to be honest. So it's so funny that you're like, I'm drawn to the, to the dialogue. I was actually drawn to the cinematography. So it's, you know, kind of how that works. So I'm, I'm excited to check out this season to see how they're using different focal lengths. Yeah. yeah, And color palettes and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk after you've seen it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, genre-wise, Landia, I know that you are really into horror. And I'm curious for you, like, why horror is an enticing genre and what you can do with it that you can't necessarily do with other genres. Mm. Sure, yeah. I tend to, well, from an independent standpoint, definitely horror. I also really like thrillers and darker movies, for sure. Um, One great thing about horror as an independent filmmaker, it is an easier film genre to make to get funding for and to get distribution. So that's business. Like at the end of the day, it's great to be creative, but I also think that we should be making money doing what we love, right? Um, So yeah, you want to make sure um, that you're making money. So horror is an easier genre to do that. Also, horror is fun because you can play with sound. You know, you can play with lighting. You can play with just the overall film tone and create... That the fear in someone, you know, that's really what horror does. You know, we talk about the horror tropes where, you know, you see the person walking towards the door and that's that slow push in on their face and then they open the door and nothing's there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Close it. The bad guy's standing behind it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Play with all these fun things that audiences already know. Like these are things we know when we hear the like we know because other, you know, big movies have done a great job of setting us up for that so i think it's fun to play against it when Mm -hmm. they think it's coming no it's really over here right Mm -hmm. and so i think that um it's a great and fun way to make a movie um Mm -hmm. to play around and also like i said they're also the type of movies that you can make money on as an indie filmmaker and not need like a huge budget to be effective do you think that there are like topics that are more interesting like is it fun just to just have like a a fun horror or do you want to you know have it be a metaphor or the genre is kind of open for a lot of things well you know it's funny i i once uh read an article with wes craven and he said um you need to do the type of horror movies that scare you right um i definitely don't well i can't say don't like like what scares me is anything that's in the spiritual like religious space because i grew up as a church girl so those type of movies really really scare me like demonic stuff like the jasons and the freddy kruegers and i'm not scared i think those are fun to me you know and the halloween like those are not scary (laughs) but i have been playing with taking a silly premise that you would Uh never expect 
and seeing if I can flip that into something that's truly dark and scary. And that's kind of a fun thing to do as well. So yeah, that's definitely what I'm working on. I have two horror movies we're working on right now, um, just in the kind of story phase. And so we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I was, I was listening to uh, the NPR. They had a professor talking about the genre of horror and how we're both, you know, learning when you watch a horror film and you're both also trying to practice what you would do mentally or physically right. if you're in a situation. Um, and then in the process, you're also personifying a feeling into the idea because sometimes an, an emotion is, is like a nightmare. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you're working through it. So I love horror and I love the expansive nature of the genre, right? It's not just slasher films, it's psychological, right. it's all these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And Jordan Peele and certain directors who are expanding on it for American mainstream audiences. And of course you, so very excited yes. about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, I love that you said that because you know, it's so funny. When I watch a horror movie, I always think, oh no, that would never happen to me because I wouldn't put myself in that set of circumstances. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's funny that you say that because that's definitely what I think when I'm watching. <laughs> me too. Me too. I'm like, yep, I would have had this next. And but then like when nope. I exactly. <laughs> and then you like get a house or an apartment, you're trying to game out your escape route when you're looking through the apartment, you know, because you've seen too many horror films. Like another part that of a huge part of your life is women of color filmmakers, which is how yeah. we met. So yeah. can you tell us just a little bit about what the organization is and like why you took it over and why you pour so much of yourself into this work. Sure. So Women of Color Filmmakers um, is a nonprofit organization that focuses on helping women of color who are pursuing careers in film and television. So we really focus on the educational aspect of really making sure that they are um, prepared when they book these jobs. Our goal is, you know, of course, we want them to book the jobs, but we also want them to feel confident in the position to understand um, the intricate details of directing. Right. I always joke about directing is not just you know, being bossy on set, you need to have kind of a little bit of an understanding of what everyone does, right? So that way you can be effective. So we definitely focus on that. We focus on script writing. We have a script writer circle where uh, writers can come get feedback on their scripts and really get some good uh, constructive um, feedback and help with making sure that their scripts are ready for if they're submitting them, um, if they are trying to produce them, uh, we want to make sure that they feel like they have the tools they need. So we do a lot of educational things. And the reason why I do this, like the reason why this is important to me is I remember when I was kind of first getting started and building my production company, feeling nervous, even though I knew what I was doing, it only took like one person to kind of make me feel like, well, do I, you know, yep. be challenged because at the end of the day, as a woman behind the camera, you are challenged more. And especially as a woman of color. And I was feeling that a lot, you know, as I started to book bigger jobs, I'd be the only woman, mm. you know, and definitely the only woman of color. And I even had on my own job, I was shooting a music video for a client and I was working with a cinematographer I'd never worked for before my DPP brought him in and he was upset that I was his boss (laughs) he actually told the DP I thought I was working for you not her yeah it was if I could have fired him that day I would have (laughs) on location no I was just like you know I put on my smile and I just said you're actually working for me and if you want to get paid fill out this paperwork. 
work. (laughs) (laughs) When I show up confident on my game, even though in my head, I may be feeling certain things about the situation I'm in. Um, normally that kind of thing happens where they'll come back and say, it was great working with you, da, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. So I want to make sure, cause I know if it's happening to me, it's happening to other women that, that they don't buckle under that because it is easy to, I, I still even sometimes second guess myself in those situations, but I'm like, no, I stick to my guns. I know my stuff. I handle it with respect and with a smile. Cause that's my personality. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I don't want anyone to feel like that. And as much as I can do to help other women have a voice, you know, to be a uh, strong on set, to be confident in knowing their skill set, then that's what I'm going to do. So that's why I pour so much into the organization and into our members. It's really important to me. And, it, you know, I know Christina knows, too. It's like to hear them say, wow, because of, you know, the film lab, um, now I feel confident or I won this award or so many of them are winning. One of them just got she's a finalist for the Nickel Fellowship. So yeah. it's like hearing these things and saying, but my script started here at Scriptwriter Circle and now I'm a finalist for the Nickel fellowship that to me is the most rewarding thing to see their successes and know that it, our organization is making a difference and they're working a bunch of them like from when we first started four years ago or on set and trying to figure out okay how can i come back and also help say this is what's happening on the front lines how do we right. bring you all up yeah so it's a it is a great organization so what is this this gala coming up can you share with everyone about our gala and how they can get involved <laughs> Yes. So um, on November 19th is our um, anniversary gala. We're celebrating four years as an organization. And the gala basically is, I did mention the film lab, but we have a a film lab and our film lab is a six month lab. So we take filmmakers from script development, pre-production, production and post. And then at the end, they have a short film and we screen it at our summer film challenge. So we usually use the gala as kind of the fundraiser for the film lab because the film lab is free for the participants. Mm-hmm. They don't have to pay anything. We've been so blessed to have awesome mentors like Demetrius and a lot of other dynamic filmmakers who have come in and, and shared their skill set with our filmmakers. And it's beautiful to see the development of their projects. And so uh, because we offer it for free, we we use the proceeds from the gala to kind of offset some of the costs because we really are trying to keep the filmmakers from having to pay anything to participate. So our gala is our annual fundraiser. It's also a celebration of you know, awesome indie filmmakers in the industry. Like, I feel like it's important to recognize what I call the outliers in the industry who, yes, they may be independent filmmakers, but they're making money as filmmakers. They're, you know, paying it forward and looking out for other filmmakers who are trying to come up. And so it's also a way of celebrating them. Mm -hmm. Um, And also we screen films from our fall film challenge. We have this year, I think we have seven filmmakers. Mm -hmm. So they have 10 minute shorts and we screen those. And we also um, recognize some members, a member who is um, just, you know, always looking out for others within the organization. We are really about support Mm -hmm. and um, helping each other. And, you know, cheering each other on. I think that's super important. You know, I I don't believe in the crab in the barrel mentality. I believe there's room for all of our voices. And that's what makes it, uh, you know, um, awesome. When you can go see a film that's based in Christina's voice or my voice or Demetrius' voice, you know, like those perspectives are important and there's Mm -hmm. more to us 
than just the stereotypical things we see. And so I think it's important to show that support. So that's basically what the gala is about, is just celebrating, supporting, and raising money for the film lab. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I got involved in this organization Lucky for me, from from day one, I stumbled in uh, with you and NoHo, which was amazing. Um, and this, what you're talking about is so real. It has been, you know, incredible to see that you've been able to foster this type of community that is so supportive, so kind, so exuberant. Um, everyone works on each other's film sets, and it's not competitive. No one's trying to dominate the other's voice to your point. And we've got women, you know, from every nationality, you know, many languages, many backgrounds and kinds of stories. And, and something that has been so important is a lot of women come with their scripts and they've taken them and shown them elsewhere. And when people just didn't understand the story or the characters themselves, like they didn't have a basis to even give feedback from. And I think there can be a hesitance of like, oh, I don't want to give feedback on this because I don't want to seem like a so-and-so, <laughs> whatever, you know. Right. So I'm just going to pass because that feels dangerous. Um, and so to have a community where it's like, okay, you and I might not be Korean or Filipino or, you know, from Mexico City, but we do understand bringing in a story that is, original and personal yeah. and wanting a space where people will hear it and just let the, let the characters be who they are, let the story be what it is and be nuanced and, and perhaps really different than people's stereotype of what a community should be and saying, these are really interesting stories. Now, how do we make these the best scripts they can be? Thank you. Yeah, that is really important to me. I feel like um, you know, we talk about this a lot in our scriptwriter circle. I don't feel like we need to s explain everything about our cultures. I think some things you just need to Google if you don't get it. You know, and that's even the diversity of, you know, me being African, African-American, like there are, you know, we have a member who's Jewish and African-American and she wrote this awesome script, but a lot of people didn't understand because she included a lot of her Jewish culture. And I, I told her, I was like, well, I told them she doesn't have to explain that. You guys need to Google why they separate meat and bread. She doesn't have to explain that. That's just part of the story. If you don't understand it, you need to look up Jewish culture. You know what I mean? And I think those kind of things are super important because that's how people start to learn about the differences in our cultures, right? Mm -hmm. There was this awesome quote, I'm sure I'm going to butcher it, but the premise of the quote was when people don't see themselves on screen, right? When people don't understand, like to your point, the nuances of our cultural differences, that's where prejudices begin right? That's because we don't see it. So we don't know that, wow, we can have African-American people who are Jewish, who maybe grew up in Ghana or grew up in Asia, right? Grew up in China because their parents were stationed there or whatever. And then their cultural influence is going to be much, much different than mine as an African-American person who grew up in Tacoma, Washington versus an African-American person who grew up in China. And that's the beauty of storytelling that then we can learn the richness and the, and the huge vastness of our cultures and stop some of the craziness that happens in society. Cause I do believe film does affect those things, mm -hmm. right? You, you, you can truly change a life or a person's mind through film. And so I think that that's super important. So thank you for saying that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah I mean, so many people 
come to me who aren't filmmakers who talk about a movie they saw or a documentary that they saw or uh, an episode of their favorite TV show that they saw where somebody was represented and it just completely changed their mind because they fell in love with that character mm -hmm. and all these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. One thing I've really liked about your you guys' lab as well is I know as a director, I, I feel nervous to ever ask questions, right? I'm supposed to show up on set and know what's going on. And I feel like if I ever meet a cinematographer who starts to give me little pointers, that's the moment that uh, that cinematographer tries to take over my set. <laughs> mm -hmm. But when you're in a lab and you're around people and you bring in the professionals that I can ask questions of, and all of a sudden that person will gladly give me advice and I can take that with me. Also seeing other people's process, you know, because there are moments where we see how people have written the scripts and what they do to get right. across an idea. Because also, you know, reading famous screenplays is important and is good. But how often do you read a, a screenplay of someone on my level, right? Let's say I'm a lab person and um, I can see what they're doing and what's working and what isn't and what I'm doing and how it's working and isn't. And we're all kind of coming up together. I think that's just a fantastic thing to do that you don't get outside of film school. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's great to get started with a support system because to your point, a lot of people, like you said, leave film school and they're on their own. But if you can, you know, get yourself with a tribe, right, of filmmakers yeah. or like-minded people and keep practicing because it is a skill that you need to continue to practice. It's constantly changing now with the introduction of digital technology and, you know, you know, you have that argument of film versus digital and all right. these awesome things that can happen. And people talk about shooting films on cell phones, which you totally can. Um, but you, you know, you have to continue to practice to make sure that it still is visually pleasing. And I think that is important. And if you have a group that, cause it ain't cheap, right? Yeah. <laughs> a very expensive hobby. <laughs> if you do it as a hobby. So having a support system where you can take turns, even like some of our members, they take turns working on each other's films. Borrowing and gear. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's totally awesome. And I see those who continuously work that we see time and time again, those are the ones who are now ready to make a feature with a big budget and seek investors and things like that. So you should continually be honing your craft. I truly believe in that. I love you also doing the screenings because that's something we've lost in the digital world of getting it with a group mm -hmm. and seeing my my film, no matter how small it is, mm -hmm. with a group of people in a theater type setting um, is just super powerful and looking and seeing when people laugh, when people gasp, mm -hmm. or when they get bored and look at their cell phones. Like all of this is important information. Um, and and then to like have the red carpet feel to things to say I've actually accomplished something because sometimes hitting publish and sitting back doesn't have that same feeling as a red carpet, you know, mm -hmm. um, and getting together with your cast and crew. And, and so uh, I think that part of the, um, the lab situation that you guys do is also, I think, an important and incredible part for a filmmaker's journey. Thank you. Thank you so much. And their films really are amazing. You know, yeah. I, there's a range for sure, but there were some films that came out of our lab last year that I thought were phenomenal, like and mm -hmm. absolutely worthy of the big screen. And you can see 
these women are going places, mm-hmm. you know, and getting that affirmation, D, like you're talking about that wind in your sails that you, you, you might not know. You might, if you just click publish on YouTube from your room, maybe you aren't sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but then seeing, you know, especially like people want to come up and take their photo with you on the red carpet <laughs> afterwards and be like, you made that film? Yeah. yeah. Anywhere that we should be looking for you and your work or any final parting words you'd like to leave with the back to your ones crew? um yes definitely definitely follow women of color filmmakers you can go to our website womenofcolorfilmmakers.org um our ig at women of color filmmakers um see some of the dynamic work you know definitely consider making a donation we do mostly everything for free and it's not easy we are 100 percent volunteer uh led um christina can attest to that (laughs) so um you know your contributions go 100 percent back to the organization and it is tax deductible because we are 501c3 so definitely check out the dynamic women You'll always see me there, definitely teaching a class or something of that nature. And then you can follow me on IG at Londi.Maduro. Yeah, Londi.Maduro <laughs> to learn about what I have coming up next. Um, some things I can't talk about just yet, but definitely excited about the show that I've been working on that will definitely air next year and the horror movie that we will start filming next year. So as I'm able to release more information about it, I will definitely put it on my IG page. So exciting. Oh my gosh. So many things to look forward to from a very accomplished filmmaker and mentor. So um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show today. Of course. Thank you for having me. It was fun. All right, fam. Thanks for another great episode and for listening in. We always appreciate you guys tuning in to our podcast. Just want to give a shout out to our music written by Justin Portis of Delicate Minds and also our sample for the AD cadence by one of my favorite ADs, Cody Gallo. Thanks, Cody. Also, thank you, everybody, for listening in. See you in a couple weeks. Back to your ones. Everyone back to your ones.